Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. Back, I guess it was about the middle, towards the end of December, I received a question by way of mail, a good question, a good Bible question. And uh, in the letter it said, uh, whenever things get back to normal and we are having services again, I would love to hear your take on this. And Getting back to normal and having services has taken a while, but uh, uh, thank the Lord we are finally here. We're back, and uh, you know, with the weather, and then with, of course, uh, whenever we were able to have church, uh, we had uh, the CG3, not CG3, the Next Generation services with Aiden and Pastor Kent, and so finally I have got opportunity to speak. I do want to say that I appreciate folks who will send me questions, ask me questions. A lot of times there are things that you may see that I may not notice, or there may be things that you catch in Scripture that I haven't looked at. There may be things you notice in Scripture that I have looked at. But whenever you send me a question, it challenges me uh, to find the answer. Now, maybe it's an answer I already know. Maybe it's an answer I already uh, have knowledge of. Maybe it's something I have to study. But it always challenges me to dig into the Word of God. And boy, I tell you what, I love spending time in God's Word. I don't believe there's any better thing that a Christian can do besides besides spending time in God's Word. And so, boy, I tell you what, it helps me when y'all ask me questions. And whenever I have questions brought to me, uh, sometimes they're a simple answer, a short answer that uh, doesn't uh, entail an entire sermon. Uh, in those cases, I'll just give you an answer. But other times there are folks who bring me questions that do entail an entire uh, sermon. And I love for y'all to bring me questions. So anytime you have a Bible question, feel free. You can mail it to me, you can text it to me, you can ask me in person, whatever it is, and I will do my best to find those and use Sunday nights when I speak on Sunday nights. If I have a question that needs to be answered, I will try to answer those questions on Sunday nights. And so this evening we're going to be in Romans chapter number 11. This is where we'll be starting in verse 25 and 26. And so now the question that we're looking at uh, this evening is in regard to the salvation of the nation of Israel uh, occurring in the last days. The passage in question is here in Romans eleven twenty six, and also some references to some Old Testament prophecies uh, that we'll be looking at. Now, I will say uh, that as we answer this question tonight, we are going to touch on a lot of deep subjects, and we do not have time to delve into all those subjects. So my focus tonight will be to answer this one particular question uh, but I will mention uh, some things about Scripture, and I will mention them uh, as if they are uh, determined and sure. I won't go into the time of showing you all the Scripture to confirm everything that I'm going to mention. Just for sake of time, we will focus on this question. Uh, but if you have questions about some of the other things that I've mentioned, feel free to let me know about those, and we will try to answer this question concerning the salvation of Israel at the end time. I really have to be honest, I don't know if this is going going to be a 15-minute uh, answer or if this is going to be an hour answer. It's a lot here, and so just we'll see how it flows tonight. So you may get out early. Look like you're understanding, and you'll get out really early. Look confused, and we'll be here all night. So that's how that works. But uh, anyway, we're going to look at answering this question about the salvation of the nation of Israel. We'll be looking here, uh, starting here in Romans chapter number 11, verse 25 and 26, and then we'll branch out from there. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. 
Lord, I thank you for your word. That, Lord, although sometimes when we read in your word and we read uh, things in your word, sometimes, Father, in our limited understanding, Father, that they can seem confusing. But, Father, I thank you that whenever we take time to study your word, that, Father, your word always gives us the answer. It is always clear. It always answers. And, Father, uh, that there is no contradiction. There is no question. Uh, there is nothing that is unsure or uncertain in your word. And, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, dear Lord, for Christians who read the Word of God and study the Word of God and want to know more about the Word of God. Now, Lord, as we attempt to answer this question tonight, Lord, I know that and we'll be touching on some uh, deeper subjects. And Father, uh, Lord, it has possibility of, uh, Lord, being more confusing. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help me to avoid that. And Father, Lord, that we'll be able to speak clearly uh, concerning this question. And Father, Lord, that we will go away from here with a deeper understanding of your word. And Father, also encouraged about your character, Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless now in the message this evening. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. In Romans chapter number 11, actually the entire chapter of Romans chapter number 11, the apostle Paul is talking about the Jews and how that the gospel went first to the Jews. Uh, the Jews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and his message. And because of that, uh, the gospel went to the Gentiles. Uh, and so the entire chapter of Romans chapter number 11, Paul is talking to the Gentiles uh, concerning, you see, the Jews uh, uh, developed a bit of arrogancy and the Jews had this mind mindset uh, uh, that the gospel was only for them and they developed a bit of arrogancy. They looked down uh, on the Gentiles. If you have been following along with our study through Acts, uh, a few weeks ago we looked intensively at how uh, the Lord opened the door to take the gospel to the Gentiles and how that although Peter went to the Gentiles, there were Jews that had problems with that. The Jews uh, looked down on the Gentiles and didn't want to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Well, because the Jews rejected the Messiah as a whole, the nation as a whole rejected the Messiah, uh, the Bible teaches that the gospel was then given to the Gentiles. Uh, and after the gospel was given to the Gentiles, the Gentiles became uh, the primary uh, people who were proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and such remains true even today. When Paul wrote Romans chapter number 11, he was warning the Gentiles. He said the Jews developed a spirit of arrogancy and because of their arrogancy and because they rejected me, he said the gospel was taken from them and given to you. He said, and Paul's warning him, he says, but don't you develop the same spirit of arrogancy because God can take the gospel from you just like he took it from the Jews. Now this is not at all talking about salvation and that God can take your salvation away from you. That's not at all what he's talking about. However, he's talking about being those uh, who have the great commission, being those uh, who have been called to spread the gospel. Uh, it was originally going to be the Jews. The Jews rejected him. It was given to the Gentiles. Paul said, be careful that you don't fall into the the same trap as the Jews. And so we come to Romans chapter number 11 and verse 25 and 26. And here in these two verses, Paul makes a statement concerning the Jews in the end times. And actually in this passage of Scripture, he is quoting prophecy from the book of Jeremiah. He says in verse number 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Now let me just uh, stop here and say uh, that whenever we see a mystery in the New Testament, uh, this is something that in the Old Testament was unknown, but now in the New Testament it has been revealed. So he said, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, 
lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. Here in this passage, we see that Paul is referring back to a prophecy. Uh, actually, there's multiple prophecies. I believe this quote that he makes comes from Jeremiah, but there's several prophecies concerning the salvation of Israel at the last days. And whenever we read this, the question is raised, the question that was presented to me is, will Israel be saved in the last day? And if so, how is this going to take place? And so we read the statement here in Romans eleven twenty six. and so all Israel shall be saved. And so whenever we read that, there are several questions that are raised by this passage. First of all, we wonder who is included or who is being spoken of in the phrase all Israel. Israel. Who is Paul talking about when he makes this statement, all Israel? There's two main explanations that people uh, will go to concerning this phrase. First, uh, there are some who believe that this refers to the church. Uh, these people believe uh, that when Israel rejected Christ, uh, Christ rejected them, and then that the church uh, has become the recipient of all the promises originally intended for Israel. And this is what some people teach. Uh, they say that all the promises in the Word of God that God gave to Israel, the Abraham covenant, the David covenant, all the covenants that God gave to Israel have now been given to the church. And that sounds okay until you look into the Word of God and you find out that that's not true at all. Uh, God never uh, did away with His promises. Matter of fact, we'll see a little bit later when God makes a promise, He keeps His promises. And so those that believe that this is speaking of the church, uh, I believe, it is my belief that they are in error. Uh, others believe that this refers to the Jewish nation of Israel as a whole. And this would be my belief as well. I believe this is the correct view. And I believe it's confirmed through prophecy that this is speaking of the nation of Israel as a whole. Uh, but it's also confirmed here in Romans chapter number 11 uh, with Paul's example uh, by using the olive tree. If you would look at Romans 11 verse number 17. And now remember that Paul is making an example or what we would refer to today as an object lesson by referring to the olive tree. But in using this, he is showing us what happened to the Jews, how the Gentiles received the gospel and what will happen to the Jews in the last days. So in verse number 17, Paul says, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, speaking to the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, those that were broke off. Don't get this spirit of arrogance. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Uh, don't forget, you were grafted in, Gentiles. You were a wild olive tree. You were grafted in uh, to the chosen nation of Israel. You were grafted in as a wild olive tree. Don't boast against them, but recognize that the root is bearing you. Verse number 19, thou wilt say, Then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, because they did not believe, they did not accept the Messiah. Yes, they were broken off. 
But the only way you are in is because you did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this doesn't give any merit to you. Uh, it's nothing you have done. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore you have been grafted in. The other branches, uh, they didn't believe so they were broken off. Uh, he said in verse number uh, 21, or excuse me, last part of verse number 20, Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God, on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And remember this is not speaking of salvation, but rather having and distributing the gospel. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. Now I know that that is an object lesson and it is uh, an, an example of the tree speaking to the nations and we see the Jewish nation uh, being a part of the olive tree, uh, being a part of Christ. Uh, they were broken off because they rejected him. A wild olive tree was uh, grafted in which is the Gentiles uh, and then he says they're not in here because of unbelief but if they believe they can be grafted in again. And if you, a wild olive tree, were able to be grafted in, how much more shall they be able to be grafted in if they believe? And you say, boy, Pastor John, this is all confusing. Well, let me just try to make it simple for you. There is a distinct difference throughout this entire passage between the church and the Jewish nation. There is no way that we can look at this uh, and say that these promises that we find in verse 26 uh, refer to the church because here we see that Paul makes a distinction between the Gentiles uh, and the Jews all the way through the passage. And so uh, we see here that Paul is teaching that these are two specific different things. A little side note here that doesn't necessarily have to do with the question, just something that is interesting is from what I understand and what I've read is wild olive trees really don't produce much fruit. And the fruit that they do produce is small and inedible and nothing that can be used. But if you take a wild olive tree and you graft it into a domestic olive tree, then that wild olive branch will bear edible fruit. And boy, I tell you what, what a picture. Here we are, uh, Gentiles, uh, of no benefit of our own, nothing we can produce on our own, nothing, uh, we can't do anything of value, but whenever we are grafted into the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, those worthless uh, sinners uh, can now bear fruit uh, to the glory of God. And boy, I tell you what, I just love how the Word of God, whenever it makes examples, there's always more applications than meet the eye. But we ask the question, who uh, is being talked about uh, here in this passage of Scripture? And I believe when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that this is speaking uh, of the Jewish nation of Israel. Here in verse number 26, uh, it is being spoken of the Jewish nation of Israel as a whole. Uh, when I say as a whole, I believe that this is talking about the nation as a whole, as opposed to every individual Jew. And we'll look at that more in just a moment. 
We see here that uh, this passage clearly indicates a distinction between the church and Israel, clarifying that although Israel as a whole is currently in a state of unbelief concerning Jesus as the Messiah, and the gospel is thriving primarily among the Gentiles, there is coming a day when the nation of Israel will once again be grafted back into the tree as God's chosen people. As I said a moment ago, Paul was explaining this as a warning to the Gentiles that because the nation of Israel developed a mindset that they were God's favorite, they looked down on Gentile nations, but because of their unbelief in the Messiah, the gospel was taken from them and given to the Gentiles. And Paul was warning against developing a similar mindset of superiority which could result in them losing their place as the primary carriers of the gospel as well. And now that we understand that verse number 26, I believe, is referring to the nation of Israel, we then ask a second question, and that is, what is meant by the phrase, so all Israel shall be saved? A few things can be clarified here uh, from this statement. First, this is referring to a national salvation. In other words, the nation of Israel turning to God as a whole instead of every Jew or every living Jew. There are some folks who have looked at this phrase uh, and they have said so at the end of time, every Jew that ever lived uh, will all of a sudden be saved. Some look at this passage and say, so at the end of time, uh, every Jew who is alive will be saved. Then others look at this and say that this is referring to the nation of Israel turning to God as a whole, which I believe is what this passage of Scripture is talking about. We have many instances throughout Scripture where the phrase, all Israel, is used to refer to the nation as a whole rather than to every individual. A couple of examples. In 1 Kings 12 and verse number 1, we're reading of Rehoboam the king. And it says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. In 2 Chronicles 12 and verse number 1, again speaking of Rehoboam, it says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Now both of these passages use the term all Israel. But we understand if we read the remainder of those stories that that did not mean every individual Jew who was under Rehoboam. It just means that the majority of the nation as a whole went with Rehoboam. The majority of the nation as a whole followed Rehoboam, but it did not refer to every individual. And I believe the same applies to Romans eleven twenty six. The phrase all Israel refers to the nation as a whole instead of every individual. And it is teaching us that the nation as a whole will turn to God. Not that every individual Jew will be saved. And so we'll look at this more in a little bit. The second thing we need to clarify about this statement is that this salvation will still be based on faith in Jesus Christ. There are some who try to teach that this salvation of the Jews uh, is going to be something that God will do uh, uh, without the Jews' consent, so to speak. Uh, in other words, there will come a time uh, at the end of the world uh, when God will just bestow salvation on every Jew that is alive. Well, there's a problem with that. The Bible clearly teaches that we must all come to salvation the same way. The Bible clearly teaches, for by 
grace are you saved through faith. And the Bible clearly teaches that the only way that any person can obtain salvation is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look into the Old Testament and we look at the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament Christians... Everyone in the Old Testament uh, who you and I will see in glory uh, are in glory because of their faith uh, in the God and the promises uh, of the Messiah. Uh, The people who are saved in our generation uh, will be in glory because they put their faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and these Jews uh, who will be converted at the end of time uh, will be converted based on their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Those who would like to teach uh, that this is something that is bestowed upon the Jews without any uh, action on their own uh, have not understood what the Bible clearly teaches concerning salvation being by faith. In addition to that, there is nothing, no scripture here in Romans or in any Old Testament prophecy that indicates that this salvation will be bestowed upon the nation of Israel it without regard to their belief. There is no scripture anywhere that supports the thought uh, that salvation will just be given to the Jews uh, without regard to their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we are told is that right now the Jews are blinded. The Jews rejected the Messiah. As a whole, as a nation, the Jews rejected the Messiah. Now, individual Jews are still coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord that there are still individual Jews who come to an understanding of the Word of God. They put their faith in the Word of God. They believe on the Word of God and they are born again by God. And I thank the Lord for every one of them. But as a whole, the Jewish nation rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And it is as if their eyes are blinded to the truth of the Messiah. However, there's coming a day when those blinders will be lifted. And we'll see how those blinders are lifted in just a moment. But the blinders will be lifted and they will see clearly that this is the Messiah. And whenever they see clearly that this is the Messiah, they will put their belief and their faith and their trust in Him. And the Bible says, Whosoever believeth in me shall be saved. Their blinders will be lifted. They will see clearly who Jesus is and they will believe in Him and they will be saved. We see that the Jews will recognize the Messiah for who He is and many unbelieving Jews will lay aside their unbelief and put their trust in the Messiah, the Savior of the world, for the saving of their souls. We see in Romans eleven twenty three 23 that this fact that they must believe is confirmed. In Romans eleven twenty three, 23 it says, And they also, speaking of the Jews, the nation of Israel, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. Paul is speaking of this day when all Israel will be saved, and he said, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. There's coming a day when they must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Zechariah 12.10, we see this explained again. Zechariah uh, here uh, says, uh, the Lord speaking, And I will pour upon the house of David 
and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and mourn, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Here in Zechariah 12.10, the Lord says there is coming a day, and remember that this is a prophecy. This was written long before the crucifixion. He said there's coming a day when they're going to look on the one whom they have pierced, and they're going to recognize who I am, and they're going to put their belief in me. So we see the first thing that is clarified is who this is. The second thing that is clarified is that this salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ. The third thing we clarify about this statement is that this salvation will come about as a result of the tribulation which will open the eyes of Israel to their unbelief. So a moment ago, I said that the blinders were taken off. What is it that removes these blinders? Well, we find in the Word of God that the Word of God speaks of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble is the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, during this time of great tribulation, we're going to read a couple verses about it here in a moment, we see that the Jews are faced with such tribulation and such persecution that the blind that they had over their eyes are removed and they recognize who Jesus is. The tribulation will bring them to a place of salvation. I'll just interject this right here. doesn't exactly apply to this, but it kind of does. Many people teach, and you may have heard this, that after Jesus comes, nobody can be saved during the tribulation. That's actually not taught in the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Word of God teaches that many, many, many people will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And one of those groups of people is the nation of Israel. We see here uh, this uh, Jacob's trouble and the tribulation. We find descriptions of this in Jeremiah, Zechariah, Daniel, other prophets. Uh, but it is also described in Matthew, in Matthew 24, Verse 20 down through verse number 22, the Lord speaking here. He says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, since, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be Shortened, And so we see here uh, that this tribulation is so great uh, uh, that if the Lord did not lift the persecution, nobody would survive. We know from other passages of Scripture that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will die during this tribulation. But there'll be a third of the nation of Israel who will live. At this third of the nation of Israel, their eyes will be opened and they will recognize who Jesus is, and they will understand who He is. Many will suffer, many will die as a result, but many will also recognize the truth of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, and as a result, they will put their trust in Him. Now, a fourth clarification of this prophecy that Paul referred to when he said that all Israel will be saved is that this salvation will occur very quickly. 
And so it will appear, it will seem that the entire nation was saved in an instant. But what is going on though is that the entire nation has recognized who Jesus is and as a nation, as a whole, they have put their trust in Him. But this conversion will happen very quickly. We see in Isaiah 66, verse 7 down through verse number 10, an explanation of this salvation taking place. And of course this is being spoken in a prophet means, but we'll make sense of it in a minute. It says, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children." Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. All ye that mourn for her. What is Isaiah saying here? Isaiah is saying that there is coming a day of salvation for the nation of Israel. And you can read more of chapter number 66 and get more of the context. There is coming a day of salvation for the nation of Israel. And this day of salvation is going to occur quickly. He said before she travailed, she brought forth. What does this mean? It means that this is going to be quick as if a lady was to deliver her child before she even felt the pains of labor. It was born quickly. It happened fast. It wasn't something that had to be travailed over, but it happened quickly. So we see that this salvation will be, it will not be a long drawn out process, but rather an instantaneous process that occurs instantly, simultaneously in response to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this reveals a very important truth to us concerning salvation as a whole, not necessarily just with the nation of Israel, but salvation as a whole. There are those who teach that salvation is something we have to work for. They teach that salvation is something we have to labor to achieve. But I find by looking at this, that this entire nation will come to God in an instant. That tells me that any person who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in that instant receives whole and complete salvation. Whenever you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are as saved as you will ever be. There is no way that you can ever be more saved. There is no way you can ever be less saved. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are instantaneously born again 100% completely. Whenever we look at this prophecy, we see the nation of Israel. Their eyes had been blinded. They couldn't see the truth. They go through the tribulation, and because of the persecution of the tribulation, and this is another thing that can apply to us, trials will often open our eyes to the truth. Because of the trials of the tribulation, their blinders are removed. They recognize who the Messiah was. They recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the entire remaining nation of Israel as a whole puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the entire nation of Israel is given salvation because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I believe that salvation is instantaneous, not only for Israel, but for everyone who puts their trust in the Lord. The salvation of the nation of Israel reveals several things about our God, and we'll look at these and then we'll be finished. First of all, this salvation of the nation of Israel at the end of time reveals that our God is a God who keeps His promises. Our God is a God who keeps His promises. If God promises something to you, you can be guaranteed He will deliver on His promise. He doesn't leave loopholes. He doesn't leave ways to get out of it. If He makes a promise, He will keep the promise. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see a covenant that God made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter number 12 and verse number 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We turn over to Genesis chapter number 13, verse 14 and 15. We see this covenant with Abraham continued. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, catch these last two words, forever. Abrahamic covenant that this land would be given to the nation of Israel forever. And after the nation of Israel puts their trust to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be restored to their native land and the Lord Jesus Christ will rule as king for a thousand years during the millennium reign. And there's so much we could get into there, but he will keep his promise to Israel and the land of Israel will, or the nation of Israel will live in the land that he gave to Abraham forever. He made the promise he will keep the promise. Not only do we see the Abrahamic covenant, but we see the covenant that was made with David. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 and 13, the Lord speaking here to David, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Davidic covenant is that a seed of David will reign on the throne of Israel forever. And when the nation of Israel puts their trust in the Messiah, the nation of Israel is converted and they are reestablished in their land. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, will rule as king forever. He made a promise and he will keep. His promise. This thing of seeing the nation of Israel coming to salvation at the end of time lets you and I know that we serve a God who keeps His promises. But then secondly, we see about our God that He is a God who is rich in mercy. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, 
and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know a characteristic that defines our Lord here in this passage, we see the word mercy. We see the word grace. We see the word kindness. These are characteristics that define who our God is. And whenever we see that here, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and Jesus Christ himself came and was born as a Jew, and the Jews rejected him. He said, but yet I am a God of mercy. I am a God of grace. I am a God of kindness. And although you reject me, and although you turned your back on me, uh, before the end of time, I am going to give you another opportunity to put your faith and trust in me. We look at this and we learn that we serve a God of mercy. We serve a God who will give us chances over and over and over again. I've heard people preach, and, and I believe this is true, but they preach that you can reject God to a point that God will no longer invite you. He'll no longer bother you. He'll no longer knock on your heart's door. And I believe it is true that you can reach that point. But I also believe that we write them off long before God does. <laughs> We give up on them long before God gives up on them. We conclude that they'll never come to salvation long before God concludes that they'll never come to salvation because the God we serve is a God who will extend His mercy again to an entire nation that has rejected Him for thousands of years and yet He'll extend His mercy over and over and over again. We need to be careful who we write off because it's good chance that God is still extending His mercy. We see from this that we serve a God of mercy. But then the third thing that is revealed about our God is that He is a God who desires that all should come to salvation. In 2 Peter 3, 9, He said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. We see this passage in Romans eleven twenty six that says, So shall all Israel be saved. And it reminds me of the fact that I serve a God who his heartbeat is that all would come to salvation. It is his desire that every man, woman, boy, and girl would put their trust in him. It is his desire that all will be saved. Whenever you and I go out into the world and we see those without Christ, we may make our own judgments but we need to remember in the eyes of God, every individual, it is His heartbeat that they would come to a place of salvation. So in regards to the question, does Romans eleven twenty six 26 teach that all Israel will be saved at the end of time? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. 
and it's because of His mercy, and it's based on their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, I tell you what, looking forward to that day, can you just imagine all those Jews? Can you imagine the stories they'll tell? For so long, we rejected Him. For so long, we denied Him. For so long, our families didn't believe in Him. But then, at the end of time, our eyes were opened. We put our faith in Him, and He, in mercy and love and kindness, gave us full salvation. It reminds me of the parable where the gardener went out and he hired some men to work in his, in his vineyards. He said he'd pay them a penny a day and they began to labor. And Then he went out and he hired some more and said he'd give them a penny and they came and labored. And Then at the last hour of the day, he went out and found some men still standing idle and said, if you'll come work the last hour of the day, I'll give you a penny. They came and they worked the last hour of the day and then when he began to pass out the pay for everyone, those who had labored for a long time, labored all 10, 12 hours of the day, they're like, Master, we've labored through the heat of the day and we receive a penny. They've only labored an hour and yet they received a, a penny. And the master said, is it not meet for me to pay what I think? Did you not agree to work for a penny? You know what I think about the fact that there's coming a day when there are some Jews who maybe it'll appear just worked the last hour of the day, but they get the same reward, they get the same blessing, they get the same glory. Why? Because we serve a God of mercy who wants to extend salvation to whosoever will. What should we do? I believe that we ought to be busy praying, busy seeking, that the Lord work in the lives of all people and all Jews each and every day that they will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope that was a blessing to you. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy. Thank you that you're a God that keeps his promises. You're a God that wants to bring all men to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for giving us salvation. I pray, dear Lord, that as we go our different ways this week, that, Father, we will be faithful to tell those without you that there is a God who can save and who can change their life. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us now throughout this evening. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.